everything's working audio video wise it's always a little bit of a bit of a gamble i feel when it comes to these things so i think for the moment it seems to be okay so do let me know if at any, at any point the video or the audio cuts um but hopefully that doesn't happen so yeah good morning everyone and greetings again from Hong Kong. Yes, like uh, Sam said, my name is Josh Mack and I work for Island ECC here in Hong Kong. Um, my, normally I work in the care group and equipping ministry, which is uh, to do with small groups. I work with small group leaders as well as classes. So adult education, adult Bible classes, um, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I was introduced to Sam through um, his cousin Alistair who, who has, like as Sam said, um, preached here a couple of times. And Sam has kindly allowed me this great privilege and pleasure of speaking to you today. Um, but before we begin, um, yeah, why don't we once more um, join together in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, for your word that you revealed to us today, Lord. And we thank you for this privilege to be able to uh, gather as one body as we look at your word, Lord. We thank you for the technology that allows us to do this, uh, even in the midst of all that is going on. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, speak to um, all of us today, Lord, in more ways than my words could ever do. And uh, we pray that you would free our heart from uh, all other concerns, help us to receive um, what you have to say to us, Lord. And we thank you and we give you this time and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. So today we will be continuing with uh, the study of uh, Hebrews, looking at chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. Uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, why don't we go through the passage together? And uh, just for your reference, I will be reading from the ESV version. So Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 13. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So I think for most of us today, uh, when we read the Bible, 
we tend to maybe we'll read uh, one or two chapters a day, maybe just a short chunk with a devotional. Uh, it's not often that we kind of sit down and read uh, an entire book or an extended passage uh, in one go. Um, so the result of this is sometimes uh, we can maybe miss the main point that the author is trying to make, or perhaps we may end up uh, putting too much or too little emphasis on certain verses. So today, when we look at uh, chapter 12, we see that it starts with the word therefore, which immediately tells us that it's not a standalone passage, that it's referring to something that happened before. Because of something that happened before, therefore, this is the implication. So last week, when Dr. Todd Belcher shared on uh, chapter 11 in Hebrews, we read about um, this passage that is sometimes called the uh, Hall of Faith, uh, where it talks about our Old Testament forefathers, how they achieved great things uh, through their faith, how they persevered uh, through intense persecution. And yet it was said that uh, they did not receive what was promised. So even though uh, they did not have our benefit of living in this time in history where the gospel message has been fully revealed, they still persevered in their faith, some even being martyred for it, some even dying for their faith. But for the recipients of this book of Hebrews and, and for us today, uh, we do have the full picture of the gospel. We know that we are reconciled with God uh, through Christ's work on the cross. Uh, victory has been won. Therefore, the author now exhorts us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the author describes the Christian journey as, uh, as a race and that we must run it with endurance. Now, when we think about endurance running, I think naturally uh, we envision maybe a race that is really long, uh, like a marathon or an ultra marathon, something like that. But if we remember what we read in the previous chapter, how it talks about uh, the, how the believers were persecuted and tortured and even killed for their faith. And if we remember the, the bigger um, context of this book, um, uh, that at that time, uh, it was addressed to Hebrew believers who were indeed being persecuted for their faith, then uh, that helps us to understand a little bit better uh, what the author means when, when he says that we have to run with endurance. So we need endurance, uh, not because the, the Christian journey is necessarily very long, but because it is hard. The Christian journey um, is not easy. Uh, there will be hardship and difficulty. Uh, back then, the believers that this book was addressed to they faced uh, persecution and societal pressures to, to forsake their faith and to go back to their Jewish customs and traditions. Uh, but for us today, uh, perhaps uh, we may not face as much outright persecution, uh, but we still live in a world where uh, Christian values are, are slowly being eroded more and more. And even in, you could say, traditionally Christian countries in the West, we can see that Christian values, they're increasingly seen as being out of date they're seen as intolerant, uh, old-fashioned, and no longer relevant, and it's becoming less and less accepted. This means that as Christians who live in this world, uh, we are constantly being bombarded by, by values and ideas that are contrary to our faith. Uh, in, whether at work or, or at school or even at home through the things that we read and watch on TV and, and on the internet, um, such that sometimes it seems like it'll be easier if we just like, why don't we just not be Christians anymore? Or why, why, why struggle with all of this? 
right? Sometimes life just seems easier and we just go along with the world and do what everyone else is doing, right? Perhaps uh, make, like just tell a white lie every now and then to make things easier, cut some corners at work, just to do things quicker, get off work on time, get things done faster. Uh, or perhaps it's something in your, in your personal life uh, that, you, that you struggle with, right? And oftentimes it seems that the more we struggle against sin, the more we, uh, we try to do the right thing, uh, the more we, we fail, the more we can't do it. We find that we cannot do it. So Paul says in, in Romans 7 that, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. We know what we should do, but we just can't bring ourselves to do it. Uh, instead, we often find ourselves doing the very things we know we shouldn't. And we see that this struggle against sin is very real. And it's a lifelong struggle. That is why we need endurance. And the fact that the believer's life is compared to a race has a further implication. It points to the truth that uh, there will be winners and there will be losers, just like an actual race, right? There will be some who persevere in their faith all the way to the end, but there will also be some who sadly, as we've read in chapter six previously, um, who have and who will fall away, who will fall away from their faith. So the author here is writing to encourage the believers to persevere in the face of hardship. He's calling for a renewed determination to endure, to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Uh, he's telling the believers not to be weighed down by, by excess baggage, by uh, sins and worldly uh, values that are holding them back from a deeper relationship with God. He's telling them to, to lay them all aside, make every effort to fling them off, to get rid of these things that are holding them back. Um, what he's saying is, he's saying that when we are dealing with sin, we have to be firm, we have to be resolute. Uh, we can't give in to them, and we don't want to be led, led astray by them. So, the question that naturally follows is, why must it be so hard? Why is the life of a believer so hard, right? Shouldn't life be easy once I came to faith, once I believed in Christ? I thought it would be kind of like smooth sailing from now on, right? Yeah, Jesus, uh, my Lord and Savior, I believe in him. He's going to help me through life. Everything would go well. I thought Christ has declared victory over sin, right? We're reconciled with God. And yet, why does life still seem so hard for, for believers? Why is there still such a big struggle um, against sin? So I think oftentimes, especially when we are going through um, difficult seasons in our life, these are questions that we struggle with. We struggle with. We question God. We ask him. We want to know why, why is it still so hard? Now, this is where it gets interesting in the passage. So if you look at it again, so far in verses 1 to 4, um, the author has been telling uh, the believers to run with endurance, right? To not to give up their faith, even in the midst of hardship. But in verse five, uh, he immediately, he jumps to talking about the discipline of the Lord. Um, so I'm going to read it out in verse five. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Why does the author suddenly talk about this? How is it related to 
what he was talking about before. It seems like it's a completely different thing, right? So if we read on a little bit, um, the answer to that is actually uh, in verse seven. Uh, it says, uh, it is for discipline uh, that you have to endure. It is for discipline that you have to endure. You have to endure all of these things because it is discipline. So all of the difficulty, the hardship, the struggle, struggles against sin, suffering and persecution that you are facing and that you will face because of your faith, uh, these are things that we as believers have to endure because it is the discipline of the Lord. Um, he says, uh, following on from that, uh, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Uh, so the fact that we are being disciplined by the Lord is because he is treating us as his children. Verse 7 to 8 says, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, so in which all, in which everyone has participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He's saying, essentially, what parent doesn't discipline their children? What parent doesn't teach their children like, to do the right thing, to behave in the right way, right? So the fact that we are suffering because of our faith is itself a sign of our status as God's children. And the author uh, tells us that there is a reason for this discipline. It's not pointless. There's a purpose for it. Uh, we can see this in verse 10, that it is for our good uh, so that we may share in God's holiness. So through the hardship that we go through in our faith journey, we are being disciplined and, and trained to become more holy, to become more Christ-like. Uh, there was a Christian writer uh, who once wrote, um, there are no spoiled children in God's kingdom. So just as our earthly fathers discipline us, our heavenly father will also discipline his children. So in verse 11, um, it says, although for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So although it feels unpleasant now, Later on, uh, it will bear good fruit. Even though it, it may be painful and may be difficult now, later on, we would reap the benefits. We would grow and we would benefit from this discipline, this uh, endurance uh, through the trial. We would kind of reap, bear good fruit because of it. So we know that we have to endure as believers. And we know that it isn't pointless, that, but that God is using it uh, to discipline us for our good. So we know the what and we know the why. So the question now is how? How can we endure? Perhaps you've uh, tried to do the right thing in the past and you were misunderstood for it. Uh, perhaps you've been unfairly criticized for it. Or perhaps you've tried desperately to resist some area of sin in your life, uh, but always end up succumbing to it again. Uh, or perhaps you live or work in a place that opposes Christian values, such that there may even be repercussions if you uh, publicly identify as a Christian. So in the face of such trials and difficulties and even possible hostility, how can we faithfully endure? How can we uh, endure these things and, and persevere in our faith? So the author here actually gives us two ways uh, to help us, to encourage us. Um, so the first way is actually found um, all the way in back up in verse one, um, he says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
let us lay aside every weight and let us run with endurance. He's saying, let us endure since we have this great cloud of witnesses. Let us endure because we have this great cloud of witnesses. Um, he, what is he talking about? Who are these witnesses and, and how can they help us? So if we remember from chapter 11, uh, we, we know that these witnesses that he's talking about, he's actually referring to the Old Testament forefathers uh, in chapter 11. They are given as, a, as an example to us, as additional reason or motivation uh, for us to persevere, that we should be encouraged by the fact that they are now witnessing our journey of faith. So I am a big fan of exercise. I, football is one of my favorite sports. And by football, I mean the kind where uh, you play with your feet. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's the only kind of football there is. Um, but anyway, the, I think the past year or so, like the game of football has really changed. And I think that's been the same for many sports as well uh, because of the pandemic, um, because of social restrictions and, and social distancing, distancing regulations. Um, the games are now played without any spectators in the audience or without any spectators in the stadium. So if you want to watch a game now, you have to uh, either watch on TV or watch online. Uh, but because the games are now played in empty stadiums, it's really quiet. And so the mics are actually able to pick up uh, what the coaches and what the, what the players are saying to each other during the game, uh, which offers a very interesting perspective that you don't normally get. But playing in an empty stadium actually has an even bigger impact to the players and to the actual uh, games themselves. So uh, normally each team would have a home stadium uh, that, um, that they usually, it's usually located in the city or the town in which they're based. Uh, so most of the games in the season would be played in the home stadium. And then the rest of the time they would travel to the stadiums of other teams and play as the visiting side or the away side. So pretty much every single team would much rather prefer to play as the home team, to play in their home stadium. Uh, this is because they'd be playing in a, in a stadium, in an environment that they're familiar with, they're used to it, they've practiced there, uh, they know what it's like. And also it will be filled with um, fans that are all supporting them, all supporting the home team. Um, so, so this advantage of having uh, the home, playing as the home side in the home stadium with your home fans, um, is statistically proven such that uh, there was actually a recent report that showed that since the pandemic, since the games have um, started to be played without any spectators, uh, this home team advantage um, has been significantly reduced. So the, basically the absence of the fans has led to a lower winning percentage for the home team. And many players have said that they miss having the fans there, they miss having the fans uh, encouraging them and cheering them on. And often the fans uh, is compared to like having an extra play on the pitch. So just to have to help you get an idea of this. So imagine if you are one of the players playing for the home team, you're in the home stadium, you have all your fans surrounding you. Um, it's the final minute of the game and it's still no, no, zero, zero. Uh, you've, by that point, you've ran your socks off, your legs are cramping up, you're super tired, you just want to lie down. But suddenly your team gets the ball back uh, in a good position with maybe 30 seconds left to play. 
uh, the fans suddenly they, they stand up, they get up on their feet, uh, their voices get a bit louder, they're urging your team forward for one final attack. Just a moment ago, you were ready to give up, but now the voices of the fans, they energize you. Uh, you can almost like physically feel the roar, roar of the 60,000 fans behind you, like a wall of sound, kind of uh, pushing you on, uh, spurring you forward and, and carrying you through your fatigue. So uh, somehow you push through the pain and you run and, and run forward and your team scores and the final whistle blows and the whole stadium erupts in celebration. So I think that this is like similar to what the author is trying to say. He's trying to paint this picture uh, for us that uh, as we run our race as Christians, as we uh, persevere in our, in our faith journey, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses uh, who are cheering us on and that who, and so that we can be encouraged uh, to persevere and to run with endurance. And, and, and in our case, th these aren't simply fans. These are actual people in history who have gone through, gone through the same race as us and have reached the goal. Uh, these are people who have been there and done it. Uh, they know what we are going through and they're now cheering us on, wanting us to succeed. So the author wants us to, to take encouragement from that. And yet, however inspiring or encouraging uh, this may be, uh, these witnesses, these people who have gone before us, um, they cannot ultimately help us in our race now. Uh, they've gone their way already. Uh, they're not here with us right now. So the author provides a second way, uh, which is found in verse two. He says, he doesn't just tell us to run our race but to do it while looking to Jesus. Uh, how does this help us? So Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Um, our faith is through him and in him, and he has perfected it by enduring the cross. So through his death and resurrection, uh, we are now reconciled to God. Our sins are forgiven and we are set free. A victory has been won uh, uh, and, we are, and it's now guaranteed for all of us who believe in Jesus, who trust in Jesus. Um, he says this again in verse 3 when he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider Jesus so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, so that you may not be discouraged. The author is telling us to consider Jesus, to reflect upon what he has done for us, uh, not only is he the perfect example of faithful endurance, uh, he's also the only one who can help us. Who can, he's, also the only, he's the only one who can give us the help that we need. Uh, we read earlier in chapter 2 uh, that because, about Jesus. He's saying, because Jesus himself, he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He knows our struggles and difficulties uh, because he himself has gone through them and has overcome them. Uh, in verse 4, he says that in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have not struggled to the point where you have to give your life uh, for your faith. So consider Jesus, who did give his life, who ran his race to completion, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is the only one we must look to as we run our race. Uh, we must rely completely on him and only in him can we have fullness of life. 
And this actually ties it back to one of the bigger themes in the book of Hebrews uh, in chapter eight, uh, where it says, now the point in what we are saying is this. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So Jesus, who is the ultimate high priest, uh, offered himself once for all, saving to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Chapter 4 says, uh, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Only through him can we be reconciled to God and receive grace and mercy. So let us draw near so that we may receive grace and mercy and the help that we need in our time of need. So Jesus is the only one who can help us and strengthen us in our journey. Only through him can we lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Only in him can we be set free from sin. Then and only then can we run our race with endurance. So for us who believe in him, his power now rests within us. If we put our faith in him, he will not let us fall away. As I'm sure many of you will have read, Jesus is described in the Bible as the good shepherd. Uh, in John chapter 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Nothing can separate us from Christ if we put our complete trust in him. So my takeaway for you today is this. Look to Jesus, be strengthened and persevere in faith. Look to Jesus, be strengthened and persevere in faith. When you encounter difficulties, uh, when life seems too tough, when, when you feel exhausted in your struggles against sin, when you just kind of want to give up, um, remember Christ, remember his role as our ultimate high priest, uh, his perfect example of faithful endurance, um, his redeeming work on the cross, all of these things um, he did to secure eternal life for us in heaven. So look to Jesus, be strengthened and persevere in faith. So I think as we close today, I think I would like to leave you with two things by way of application or reflection. So number one, is there any weight or sin that is clinging to you? that's hindering your walk with God? Is there anything that uh, you need to lay aside? Uh, are there areas of your life where you've uh, not submitted to Christ yet? And what is holding you back from this deeper relationship with God? So I think most of the time, perhaps it's not some obvious sin that we're committing. Uh, we may even be considered as good people by the standards of the world. Um, but when you kind of slow down and really reflect and think about where your heart truly lies. Uh, where do your thoughts naturally gravitate? What, what, what is your, what's your kind of heart's natural desire? Where do you, what do you think about when you daydream or when you are, or when you are, uh, when you think about the big things of life? Uh, so we are all affected by the culture that we live in. Uh, we can't help it. We, we live in the world, so we can't escape culture. Um, so are we aware of how our culture affects the way that we think and that the way we behave? If we're being honest with ourselves, 
Are we looking to Jesus as the one and only source of life and hope and help and, and fulfillment? When we are uh, in trouble, when we are going through uh, difficulty, when we are going through tough times, are we turning to Christ first? Or are we looking for help or, or fulfillment or affirmation uh, from other places, uh, from other people perhaps, or from uh, material things, or from, from, from our money or wealth, from our work, uh, from social media? So we know that these things ultimately will not satisfy us. So examine our hearts. Let's, let's really sit down and, and spend time and slow down and think about where our heart truly lies and, and examine it and keep our eyes on the prize, as they say, and look to Jesus only. So number two, remember your status as God's children. So in the midst of hardship and suffering, uh, remember that there is a reason for us, reason for it. It's not pointless that it is the discipline of the Lord because we are his children, because he wants us to grow mature and bear fruit. Now, I think an important point to note is that not all suffering on earth falls into this category. Uh, to say so would be wrong. And we have to acknowledge that evil does exist. And sometimes terrible things can happen without us knowing why. But if you are suffering for your faith, if you are being rejected by the world or marginalized by society, if you are scorned or mocked or made fun of because of your beliefs by those of the world, then know that God is using these things to, to mold you and to shape you to become more holy, to become more Christ-like, that you may grow mature and bear good fruit. God does this out of his love for us because we are his children. So when you are going through seasons of difficulty, when you encounter hardship or trials and challenges in life, don't fall away. Uh, don't give up your faith. Don't fall away like uh, some of the people we read earlier in chapter six. Instead, cling even more uh, tightly to God. Uh, pray to him, seek him with all your heart. It's okay if you, if, you, if you want to complain to God, pray to him, ask him why. Seek him with all your heart and he will give you strength. So once more, uh, as we end, uh, look to Jesus, uh, be strengthened, and persevere in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed our Father, and we are indeed your children. Thank you for your word today uh, from the book of Hebrews. We thank you for those who have gone before us in faith, Lord. But most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, we thank you that in him we have a hope and freedom from sin. Uh, give us strength to endure as we go through struggles and seasons of difficulty in our life. Uh, when we are tempted to give up, help us to cling on to you. Uh, help us to, uh, not to let you go, but to seek you and to persevere. Um, and help us not to fall away, Lord. Uh, we thank you for your, for your grace and for your mercy and for your role as our ultimate high priest. Help us to remember who you are, Lord. And, and most of all, help us to uh, continually look to you uh, in all areas of our lives, in all seasons of our, of our lives, whether in good or in bad. Help us to uh, keep our eye and our focus on you, Lord. 
And uh, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Malaysia today, Lord, and I lift them all up to you, Lord. Uh, you know them, you love them, you know everything that um, they are going through. You know the concerns that are on their hearts. You know what their worries, uh, their joys, and, and everything that is going on in their lives, Lord. So I lift them all up to you, Lord. Uh, bless them, Lord. Protect them in this, um, in this season of uncertainty uh, that we are going through as as your people, as your people around the world, Lord. So uh, I ask for your blessing and your protection upon uh, all of us, Lord. And we thank you that we are able to worship you today and uh, bless us as we go this week. And we love you, Lord. And we thank you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.